Listener Production. Hey, welcome to the Weekend Briefing. In this episode, I'm sitting down with the two band members from Royal Otis who are, as they say in the music business, blowing up. <laughs> so right as their debut album, Pratt's and Pain, has dropped, they're in the middle of this tour that is selling out some amazing dates here in Australia, but then they go overseas and the Northern Hemisphere summer dates look really, really fun. I'd say culminating in a performance at Primavera, Barcelona, which will be just mind-blowing. If you're late to the party, and I've got to admit, I was a little bit, they got a lot of attention with their Triple J Like A Version last month. So that's the Sophie Ellis Bexter hit Murder on the Dance Floor from 2001. What a time. Um, it was an interesting choice because their sound is often talked about in the context of the 2000s indie guitar pop sound like MGMT, Passion Pit, Empire of the Sun. We'll see how they feel about those references when we get talking. So let's find out who they are, what their story is, what brought them together and how they're going to stay sane on the big journey that they're kicking off right now. Uh, Royal Maddell, Otis Pavlovic, thank you so much for joining us on the Weekend Briefing. Thank, thank you, you for having us, Tom. Yeah, pleasure. <laughs> Um, that was beautifully in sync. Thank yeah. you. Um, almost like a harmony. Yeah. <laughs> Try that again. <laughs> no, it was perfect. Um, so, yeah, look, as I said, looking from the outside, it, it does look like you two are in the middle of kind of a perfect storm right now. The band's getting a lot of traction, shows are selling out, internet's liking you. The album is a huge deal. You've got three EPs that you've released beforehand. So, you've put out a lot of music already and thought carefully about what goes into this album. How do you feel in this moment of the journey? Tired. (laughs) Mixed emotions. Yeah. But yeah, like excited one side, tired in the middle and then nervous on the other side. Mm. I don't think we've had a chance to let any of it sink in just yet. Mm. Yeah. I think it's all been too like sort of hectic to actually stop and smell the roses, you know? Yeah. Yeah, which is probably like a good thing in a way. Just keep keep the ball rolling. Keep on rolling, baby. Yeah, it's a funny balance, isn't it? Because on one hand, you'd like to think you could just really soak it up and enjoy it, but I imagine that it also comes with a bit of pressure to make the most of the momentum. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I feel like you have like a little bit, like you have successes and then people are like, oh, you should just try to cap- capitalise on your successes. So yeah. yeah, it gets you a bit more busy. And then, then you fall into a, like a, a habit of... Like once once it slows down, then you feel even more anxious and then you feel like mm. it's going too slow and then it's all a mental rollercoaster. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I guess that we'll get to that. That's sort of what I was hinting at when, when I said how you stay sane through all of this because a lot of people watching musicians who have success then struggle to understand why they end up struggling sometimes but I think it does go to what you were just saying that the momentum you want to capture it when it's on but then when it's off it's hard and it goes through all these cycles yeah definitely it's weird because there's like there probably is like a cliche around music like musicians or like that in that kind of world people like having a hard time sometimes but you can kind of see it because like there's like pressure and there's like outside noise and stuff so yeah you can definitely late nights early mornings so as we're talking, you're in the phase of basically getting this live show tight, ready to tour. What's that like? It's been big days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's been good though. We've got like a we've got a good team 
with us and our live band are good mates of ours. So we like we kind of help each other out when if we know one of one of us is struggling, then it's like oh, let's let's pick him up, mm. let's get him going. But it's um yeah long long days. But I think the show, I hope the show will be good and it'll be it's much more. There's more production work that's gone into these live shows coming mm. up. Mm. Feels like a step up. Yeah. I feel like mm. each tour we do, we kind of just go, a little, take it a notch above. Yeah, I don't know who's conducting it, but it just seems, seems to, to be happening. <laughs> well, you want to make it better every time, right? Yeah, so that's exactly. that's where it comes from. And make it, like, change it and make it more interesting and, yeah. Yeah. So let's go into the backstory. Um, you guys came together and formed the band in 2019, so almost five years ago. Um, oh, that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a bit of a shock hearing yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. That, those five years went like... Yeah, let's go back a little bit before that. Um, for you, Royal, um, from what I've read, you were hanging around in New York. What yeah. was going on for you there? I was hanging around a producer mate of mine who just invited me to go over there and sleep in a studio just on a couch. So I spent three months sleeping on a couch where the Strokes r- recorded the drums for Is This It? Wow. Yeah, and so I was like, that sounds amazing. It wasn't. Hmm. <laughs> it was gross. It was a gross time. I was pretty much living off orange juice and samosas, not mimosas. I mean, there's <laughs> you a wish. bit of both. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and there was also a blackout for, I think it was two weeks, and because the studio's underground, I lost a bit of myself <laughs> that month. <laughs> Okay, so you're getting invited to come and demo tracks with a friend in New York. That says to me that you've already played a bit of music. You've you've made some connections. You've got friends. What what had you done musically before that? Um, I'd done. I've just done a bunch of like trying to write for other friends that are in bands and like filling in guitar parts. Like, or you know, when someone's can't play a show, I I jump in and play guitar. I think I've just been surrounded by friends who have kind of, their their bands have grown or dropped off or whatever. And just, I've been around all that the whole time, like DMAs, oh, um, yeah. Green Buzzard, if you know those guys, all the IOU bands pretty much. Okay, so Sydney scene? Yeah, and Mossy, who is from these New South Wales and those okay. guys. I was yeah. I was living with Jamie from these New South Wales as well. Okay. Yeah, I've met some of those guys around rehearsal rooms around Sydney. What? How would you describe that that little world you were working around in and playing guitar in around Sydney? Um, entertaining. <laughs> it's just like, I think it was nice because you could see other people around in the music industry sort of being more competitive, but that whole crew were just like supporting each other sort of thing, you know. And was it based on the the love of a sound? I feel like they all sounded different. DMAs and like most of those guys were in a, another band called Little Bastard before, and that was completely different sound. And then Mossy was this big, extravagant electronic sound. While same guy in these New South Wales was like an Aussie punk band at the time, like. More of a novelty band, but now they've now they've like honed in their mm. their passion and skill. Okay, your story, Otis. Let's go back to your story <laughs> before you guys came together. So, yeah. 
the little bit of uh, Googling that I've done on you, you were already doing acting, um, being musicals as a teenager. Mm. Um, tell us about your childhood because your last name, Pavlovic, rings a few bells. There's Steve Pavlovic who founded yeah. Modular Records, Carmen yeah. Pavlovic who was big in the musical scene. Are they relos of yours? They are relos, yeah, they are. <laughs> yeah, Steve is my uncle and Carmen's my auntie. But, yeah, I grew up, I don't know, when I was like a 11... I started doing like just kind of getting into acting because I wanted to save up money to I was like weird kid obsessed with horses <laughs> <laughs> and I was like um I want to buy a horse and mom's like you should um save some money so acting when you're like at that age is kind of the only job you can do mm. so then I just like joined an agency and went to this like audition for an officer and a gentleman at like a musical I think it was ABC Studios or something wow. and got it which is weird. And then... <laughs> That's a big audition at yeah, 11. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and then started doing it for a bit. And, like, I liked it. And so I did that till I was about, like, 15 and, like, earned some, like, money for myself. And then... Did you get the horse? Never ended up getting the horse. No? I got a dog instead, which <laughs> even is pretty all, good. Even all that work, you probably still couldn't afford a house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, couldn't horse. afford a horse. Sorry. Exactly. Yeah. And they're so expensive. Did that till I was about 15 and then finished school... And then just basically just wanted to start writing some songs and pursuing music because mm. yeah, that's what I've kind of my main passion. Start writing some music. So I recorded a couple of demos and then kind of met Roy like soon after that. Okay. Yeah. So how did you guys meet? Had you known each other as kids or was there a speed date or what happened? We have mutual family friends. Yeah. But, Weirdly, we yeah. probably did meet as kids. Hmm. Or our parents, I reckon, definitely would, would have. Yeah, when I first met your parents, well, I'd, I'd met your parents a bunch of times, but not knowing they yeah. were your parents, which was strange. But um, I think we just had mutual friends and stuff. My girlfriend worked with Otis's girlfriend as well. I'd, I'm not sure if we met through that. Yeah, um, our neighbours named their kid after you. Yeah. Well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He sh- the guy shot me in the leg with a nail gun once. Wow. Okay, yeah. I'm sensing there's a bit of yeah. backstory here. So but it's <laughs> yeah. a bit confusing, i got to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. He, um, I was just helping out constructing a bar. <laughs> it's, it's really random. It's the only time I've ever done it. And I was just helping out and, like, you know, smashing down walls and stuff and eating Maccas and drinking Coca-Cola. That's pretty much all I was doing. But, yeah, this Greg, I think his name was, and he used to just, like, mess with me, like, ask me to do something, and I'd be like, yeah, no worries, I'll do it. And then pretty he would laugh. Guy. Yeah, yeah, he's <laughs> like, a big dude. Like- <laughs> he's, like, deaf in one ear, so you don't know if he's ignoring you or <laughs> he's, like, yeah, he shot me in the leg with a nail gun, which was, like, surprisingly... Not that painful. Wouldn't suggest Did it go it. in or just skip, skip? No, no, it went in. I had to pull it out. But um, Wow. Yeah, yeah. You're tough. You're tough. Wouldn't, tough. I wouldn't suggest it. <laughs> well, because he shot me in the back of the leg with it, and I didn't know what it was. I just felt this sort of hot sting on the back of my leg, and he was laughing. I was like, oh, what was that? And then I felt the nail, like, just a little bit in my leg. And I was like, what the hell? And him and his apprentice were just laughing. I'm realising that's bullying in the workplace. Right? So, but it sounds t- funny. Tell this story, yeah. <laughs> and really dangerous. <laughs> and it's funny, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If it's funny, bully It's away. bullying 
and it's funny? No, maybe that doesn't <laughs> yeah. work. Um, so this is the guy that named his child after you? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Weird. Yeah. So you guys are pretty much married. You've joined you've joined together, you've shared each other's first names, not last names. Yeah, holy matrimony. And it's working, musically at least, and yeah. it seems like you get on as human beings as well. So something good happened when yeah. you met. What yeah. was it? I think I don't know. because I'd seen Roy a few times, like through mutual friends and hanging out, but never really spoke to you and then then we sat down and spoke one night and then I was yeah. like Oh yeah, I was like, I've been writing some music, I'm going to check it out. And then I think you messaged me like a few days after being yeah, like, yeah. we should try to write some music together. Yeah, I was I was confused when I was listening to it. I was like, which part is Otis? Turns out it was all him. So I was like, right. man, listen to this. Like, Obviously, ignore my scratchy vocals, but like, what do you reckon of that? And then I think we we were just like, then bonded over like mutual taste in music. Okay, so you've been playing in a few different bands, playing around. So when you yeah. heard what he was doing, what what was it about you that got your ear? I think it was like the vocals and the melody was just like, like you said before, like sort of really sweet. And I could see like how that would work uh, against guitar parts that I like writing and stylistically the way I write guitar needed that sort of sweeter side rather than what I was writing. I think it was just like the naturalness of the melody and the vocals. I'd, I was like, this is this is exactly what I would like to do but can't with my mm. vocal range. <laughs> That's beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> was it In hindsight, was it something you'd been looking for or the person you'd been looking for? It was. I was actually um, working with Sloane Peterson. At the time, and she she was going on this bluesy thing, and I was like, oh, I don't I don't want to go on this bluesy <laughs> bluesy trail. I want to go a bit like get a bit more coastal. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> it was what I was looking for without knowing um, that Otis could do it. You know. What about you? Was it a similar thing for you? Were you looking for? someone or to join a band or did you want to form your own band or how did that how did that meeting work for you yeah I wasn't at the time I was kind of just like writing it to see if I could even like write a song and like come up with like a full full thing so then yeah I met Roy and then I just like I think what he was saying like he could do his guitar parts like with things that I couldn't do and like mm. some of his ideas were things that I wouldn't think about well he just brings like another thing and we kind of met in the middle that's what yeah I remember when there was a song called Wait and we're like in your sunroom yeah yeah playing along with it and you're like oh what about this it's like one of the first songs we released and he's just like and I was like oh that's pretty cool yeah I don't know it was like that by the way that was a fluke and we just kind of started like talking and like just being like let's just like write more songs until we had like a little body of work and then we kind of just decided to start a band. <laughs> Did the songs come quick? Yeah. Yeah. Mm, that's an interesting sign, isn't it? Because mm. not all good songs come quick, but some do. Yeah. Yeah, we like had a like, lot of our songs like come quite quick. Yeah, yeah. We tried to keep the urgency in it and the uh, the initial ideas, you know, not overthink it. Yeah. Otherwise, you can get stuck in the um. What does Andrew call it? The um. Oh, the um space echo. 
Yeah. <laughs> Echo Chamber. Echo Chamber, yeah. yeah. So you meet in 2019 and then you go into the pandemic, which must have been yeah. weird. Yeah. I imagine that meant the live thing was kicked down the road for a bit and you focused on songwriting. Yeah, thank God too. Yeah? Because I think we needed that. Mm. I wasn't even picturing playing live at the time. I I was just picturing being like a studio band, you know? I would, yeah, I hadn't even like, I, obviously I was like, it was kind of also against doing live shows. I was like, can't we just record music and put it out? But <laughs> live shows are pretty important, I soon realised. Why didn't you want to do live shows? It was never something, I don't know. I was just like, didn't want to do them. I just didn't think about them. I was like, I, I think we could just like maybe record music and yeah, put yeah. it out. I don't like crowds, mm. but now, now I really enjoy playing live shows. I mean, is it because you didn't have anything that you were ready to perform yet that you wanted to see what you could create without the pressure of performing live yeah. Yeah. and then decide how you Would produce and present it. that to the world? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it felt like more pressure and more stress. And because it was only the two of us, like how... How were we going to perform an entire band? And we hadn't, like, met who's playing in the band now. We hadn't really met them yet. I met Jules, um, Julian Sudek, before. It never kind of crossed my mind. And I was like, nah, this drum is not right. This, this drum is not right. But then Jules turned out all right. Mm. So you've got him on the drums. He also helped with early demos. What other parts did you put together for that live show? We got Tim Air, who does keys and bass at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Tim from at, Tim, Tim and John. Tim and John. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Wow. yeah, that's going yeah. back. Yeah, yeah. But he, but I mean, great choice as well because yeah, he was he, he was sort of almost part of the early wave of this sound. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Tim and John. Mm. Yeah. No, he's and, great. He just he brings another element to the live show. Energy as well. And it, lots of energy. The guy's psycho. It's the best. All right. It's sounding like a super group already. <laughs> um, let's talk about the sound. So some of the stuff that's been written about you is going back to the 2000s, the MGMT, yeah. Empire of the Sun, but there's other references in there that I'm hearing, like The Cure from further back, especially the the tone of the guitar, which is great, um, yeah. and the vocal as well. There's a bit of a punkish element as well. For someone that has grown up, you know, in a theatre environment as well, acting, it's the performance is kind of understated, I'd say, compared to that. Yeah, that yeah world. I don't really like theatrical performances <laughs> that much. I can tell. <laughs> yeah. um, so, how do you feel about being sort of connected to that time, the two thousands? Does that sit well with you? Yeah, like I think that our sound comes from like so many different eras, but Oracular Spectacular, MGMT's first album. First album, I think, yeah. is like awesome. Like, mm. if we get compared to that, then that's cool. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. And Dave Friedman, Friedman is that Dave how you Friedman, pronounce? I think Friedman. He helped us as well, which was like a dream sort of thing of mine. Because yeah, I loved that MGMT album. He worked on that. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. So there's been a crazy amount of success. You recorded the album in London. You've, you've got to work with producers like that, some other heroes of yours. 
something started getting some traction somewhere along the line. What what happened? How have you been able to do so much in a short time, especially given that 2021 and 2020 were yeah. a write-off for the world? I think that's why. I think all these people that might have been unreachable might have been bored, mm. you know, mm. um, and they just gave us a chance. Our guy Andrew as well somehow made, like, got us in connections with people. He sort of connected us. I don't know how he does it, but he... He does it. Yeah, every time he'd say, do you want me to try to get in contact with this person? We'd be like, heck yeah, man. (laughs) But just thinking, like, it's not going to happen. We're going to end up with the guy with the small studio around the corner. But then then he's like, all right, we got a meeting, like, blah, blah, blah. And then then we're sitting in the room with them, highly intimidated and (laughs) (laughs) struggling to get through why do you think they took the meeting with you? Maybe but they might have needed money. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have no idea. They may have seen the potential. They might have liked the sound? Yeah, they might Probably have liked not. the sound. We got <laughs> along with them as well. I think, I think yeah. that's important to get along with who you work with. What do you think some of those, those big turning points were that have you got you to this point where things are going so well? Mm. I don't think it comes down to like a certain point. I feel like it's just like just keeping, as I said before, just keeping the ball rolling and yeah. then things just pop up along the way and like, oh yeah. But it hasn't really felt like there's been like a one certain thing, except maybe the lack of version recently. Was that, that a big moment for you guys? Yeah. Well, kind of, yeah. Well, on social media, I guess. For, for a lot of people, it, it that meant like, we came out of nowhere sort of thing, mm, but yeah. we've been nonstop since 2019. Yeah, that whole thing. In is, the studio every day. Yeah. Pretty much since. It's weird that people go like, you see like comments, people saying like, oh, artists these days don't create, the, create their own music. It's like, well, it's, it's a Triple J like a version cover. Like, <laughs> that's what you're meant to do. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's literally a cover. Whole point of the thing. Like, yeah. I'm terrified of comments these days. I just don't even, oh, yeah. don't even want to open the app. It's Me a bad, bad scene. But did did that give some people the impression that you had come out of nowhere? Yeah, Probably, a lot of yeah, people. Yeah, but three EPs speak for themselves, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Three EPs and an album, and we've got a lot of songs coming still too. All in like five years, I think is it's a fair bit of that's a fair bit of work. Mm. It is, yeah. The like aversion is an interesting cultural phenomenon. It's become almost more famous than Triple J itself. Yeah. yeah. And I know from playing in a band, it's it's one of the most prized promotional opportunities. It, it's the it's probably the, especially in the more independent world, the most prized promotional opportunity in Australia, yeah. but also recognised around the world. Like big bands play it because they know it does big things on the internet yeah. when it's done right. Yeah. And it just sort of somehow needs the, the right ingredients to, yeah. to work. Yeah. So. I know that you chose Sophie Ellis Baxter because it was in Saltburn, the movie. Was it that simple or was there more to the choice? Because there is an interesting stylistic crossover. Like it's coming out of that sort of um, pop house late 90s kind of sound, but it does have that that prominent guitar riff, which is a great crossover for you, <laughs> Roy. Yeah. But it also has the dreamy vocal, which works for you, but you brought really your own thing to that. Yeah. So what went into that choice? We talked about doing it in July last year uh, with Mads, who's here with us now today. Re- record label or manager? Manager. Mm. We were throwing 
ideas out and like throwing out all these like Kylie Minogue ideas and stuff. And I think it was Mads who was like, you should do Murder on the Dance Floor. And then we were like, yeah, that sounds sick. Like keep thinking of that. But it wasn't really relevant at the time, I think. And then it was the day before we had an hour left of a rehearsal and because we don't really never wanted to do, we never really wanted to do any covers even though like doing like a version was kind of always like growing up you'd be like what would you do if you had the mm. chance to do it but um nothing was really sticking and then yeah an hour left to go hmm. and we were just like we'll, we'll give it a try it sounds like Toby like a good idea to do and we sort of just jammed it for that hour and then we're panicking the next day thinking it was going to be horrible <laughs> and it just I don't know if we somehow managed to pull ourselves together and together enough to get together why is that sounding weird together together Sound together enough sounds right sounds, sounds like right. Po- poetry to me like, yeah. <laughs> together enough to do it and um yeah. Wow. So it wasn't feeling good. You just pulled it. Well, it was it was feeling better than everything else yeah, we so were we trying. Tried, we tried a few <laughs> songs the day before. So you probably didn't expect it to go so oh, well. Absolutely not. I was like. I was freaking out. Yeah. I was like, I felt like I was expecting the worst. <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah, a little bit, yeah. Some people Although when brutal. we were doing it, yeah, well, people are always going to be brutal. But that's <laughs> yeah. what I've learned. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but. Um, on the internet. Yeah, on the mm. internet. Keyboard worries. But. <laughs> Um, God bless them. They need help, though. We all need help, you know? That's good. Empathy. I like it. <laughs> okay, so it, you, you get in the room, you record. There's probably a lot of people on the other side of the glass yeah. watching you. You're not that confident that it's going to be great. <laughs> well, I, like, I, was, I was pretty unsure about it, but then when we started doing it, I was like, it felt like it felt good. So I was like, if, that, if, it feels good, if you're doing it and it feels good, I'm sure you'd hope it resonates. Mm. But it's just like one of those things you don't really know. So what's it done for you? I think it reached a lot more people than what we, who may not have heard our music or wouldn't have heard our music unless we did it, you know. That comes back to the part where so many people now think we came out of nowhere, Mm. you know. Got more of a global sort of voice, I guess. Okay, so we touched on it at the start, like the the pressure of succeeding and, and how you deal with that and the balancing act between enjoying the moment, smelling the roses, so to speak, yeah. and capitalising on the hard work and good fortune that you've had. And I imagine, you know, Roy, you've been around a lot of friends in bands. Otis, you've even got family members that understand show business. Are people guiding you on how to handle the the pressure of these moments? Are there warnings about what happens to, to duos and creative partnerships or yeah. you w- things you're doing to try and make it last or head off any things, you know, before they arrive or you just play music? Not really. I mean, people have tips for touring, but I also think, you know, everyone's experience is different. Mm. So let's just, we'll, we'll yeah. see it. We'll see how we do it and how we'll deal with it. Yeah. <laughs> I, d- I don't know who in my life I would trust to, uh, <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah. to guide you on that. Exactly. Like the people any I have that have seen this side of the world. I don't know if I... Yeah. <laughs> You'd rather do it fresh? Yeah. 
Yeah. No. Um, what are you most looking forward to about like the American dates, Europe? Which gig are you most looking forward to out of all of them? I mean, there's a there's a lot. Also, just seeing the world, even though we don't really get a chance to. It um, it sounds way more romantic than what it is touring. Mm. Like you see the inside of a Sprinter van more than you see the rolling hills of Scotland. But um, <laughs> <laughs> you're in the Virgin Lounge a lot, aren't you? When you're touring a van in yeah, Australia, yeah. yeah. But you haven't made it to Qantas yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> All the other struggling musos, yeah. but they're yeah. pretty still stoked to have the yeah, lounge access. Yeah. <laughs> it's fun. Yeah, it's not. It's not the combi van up the east coast anymore. It's like for a lot of bands, it's long weekends of Jetstar flights or Virgin flights. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Especially Australia because it's so big. Like driving would just be so hectic. Especially, yeah, playing night after night. I think I think one of the legs we have nine shows in a row. Is that right? And then one day off. Wow. Yeah, and there's like a seven-hour drive between two of them. You know, it's, it's gnarly, but we have lots of laughs, lots of laughs in the van. Yeah. I think we're done, boys. Um, we, yeah, awesome to speak to you and get you get too, the backstory on you, on where you're at and how you're feeling at this key moment. And great to meet you at this moment as well, because yeah, I can see how much work's gone into it up until now. And in a year's time, the world might look really different. You do these shows and could really blow up to another whole level than you're on now. So all the best for the next few months. Thank you, Tom. That's terrifying, but thank you. <laughs> Sweet. That was Royal Otis. Uh, Thank you so much for listening to The Weekend Briefing. Um, We'll be back with more of these every weekend. Make sure you subscribe in whichever podcast app you're listening. And I'll catch you again soon. Listener.